so glad you're here today. Man, it's good to be together, isn't it? Amen. God is here with us, moving. And there's a rattling happening in our world today, in case you hadn't noticed. From the outside, it looks like utter chaos. If you're looking at it from the outside, it may look like evil is winning. It looks like there are no answers, but let me assure you of what we know to be true as the children of God. God is in control, and nothing rattles apart from his hand. So what we're watching today is what he is doing, not what's just randomly happening. All things are not out of control. All things are in control of the hands of our mighty God. He is orchestrating all things. He is rattling all things, and he has a purpose. He is bringing justice to light. He is bringing hope out of the darkness, and he is resurrecting his church to a new place that it hasn't been before. It's happening. The church is being rattled today as well. But I take comfort in passages like Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast their cords away. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Mm. The Lord shall hold them in derision Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in deep displeasure. Have you seen some people in deep displeasure lately? Here is what God says to them. I have set my king on my holy hill. And that's what we trust in this morning. Amen. We don't fear what's being rattled because we know who sits on the throne. Amen. Amen. And God is causing a rattle today. It's intentional. It's by his design. Nothing has caught him by surprise. He's rattling so that man might see who man really is. Desperate, wicked, in need, incapable, without answers. He's rattling all things so that man might see who God really is. Righteous, holy, just, reigning, and ruling. But God's rattling all things so that man might see who Jesus is as well. A savior who is ready to rescue those who will repent and turn from their wicked ways. Everything is being rattled. And we really shouldn't be surprised because it's what we've been praying for for a long time. Amen? Every time you and I prayed for revival to break out, for hearts to change, for our nation to wake up, for the church to come alive, this is the answer to those prayers. This is not random. God hears when we pray, and he brings his will to pass in his time, and I believe we're seeing the very thing that we have prayed for. And it's at this time we don't stop praying, we don't run, we don't hide, we stay faithful, and we keep praying Because I want to go all the way through this thing until the rattle is complete and the walls are flat down. I want to see it all the way done. I'm ready to see the church be a pure church again. I'm ready to see our nation turn back to God in utter 
dependence, a complete reworking of every element of our society. The political realm, the educational realm, the entertainment realm, every bit of it, the economic realm, every bit of it shaken, broken, and then revived when it turns to God in repentance. That's the kind of rattling we're praying for. And I don't want to stop until it's done. Hence the name of our title of our message today, Don't Stop Until the Walls Rattle. Turn with me to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, chapter 6. We'll be looking today at a time when God called his people to obedience, to enter into promises and land that he had for them. A time when they had been delivered and they had wandered for a long time, not being fully obedient. Yet God had given them a new leader. His name is Joshua. He's a warrior leader. He's different than Moses. Moses was the leader for the time, but now Joshua, the warrior leader, was the the leader for this time. And sometimes you need a leader for this time and a leader for this time. Joshua was this headstrong, I don't care what you think, every moment is a battle and every battle is to be won kind of leader. You need leaders like that from time to time. And Joshua is that leader. And they're about to walk into a brand new land, a brand new place, a place they had never seen before, a place that was just promised to them, a place they couldn't imagine, a place that would be all their own, a place that would be radically different than where they'd been before as slaves. They were going into a promised land, and they were going to have to trust God all the way into it. Just because you haven't been there before, seen it before, or, knows what it, or know what it's like, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That's important to know. Because sometimes we like to think of our future as just improvements upon our past. And God says, no, I've got something radically different for you. You haven't been there before. You haven't been to where I want to take you before. You don't know all that it's like. You don't know all the transformation that's going to take place in you to get you there. The only thing you know about there is that God is there. Mm, That's important. It really is. If you're going to move forward in your faith, if we're going to move forward as a church and as our nation is going to move forward, we can't rely upon improvements upon our past. We need a complete reworking of all things and do exactly what God says for our future. Amen? All right, hold on to that. That's going to be important later. So God's going to lead his his people into a new land. But as they get ready to go into this promised land that God had given to them, a physical geographic location that was a land of plenty and beauty and God's presence there, before they could enter in, they would have to pass by a city, a city called Jericho. And it wasn't one of those stops like Bucky's on the highway that you went into for some great joy for a little while. No, Jericho was a wicked city. Jericho was evil. The people there would say they were religious and tolerant of all religions and all the gods except the one true God. 
You see, they were desperately wicked. So wicked that their worship time included the sacrifice of children to the gods. Their worship included immorality to the gods. They were so perverted, so twisted, killing innocent people, destroying anyone who wouldn't go along with the flow, who wouldn't play their game, who wouldn't go along with their practices, who wouldn't sign up for their government programs, who wouldn't do what they wanted them to do. They didn't like any of them. They were extremely anti-God, but for all of their gods. Their idea was that the gods were all angry and it was incumbent upon them to keep him happy through these bloody, immoral, ritualistic sacrifices. And the one true God comes along and says, that is wicked. That is evil. And that must not remain in the land. So as Joshua and his people are moving into their land, their chosen land, there is Jericho on their property. Here is wickedness where they should be. Here is evil in the land where God's presence should dwell. And God is going to give them a very specific pattern and plan on how to remove Jericho. They would have in their minds how it ought to be done, but God is going to give them a plan of how he wants it done. And this plan will serve as a pattern for them, for all that would follow. Joshua chapter 6, let's start in verse 1. Now, Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. They had completely shut down the economy. They had completely shut down all activity because they knew God's people were on the way. That's what it says. You you read it. Now Jericho was securely shut up. Why? Because of the children of Israel. God's people were on the move. God's people were about to move into their land. God's people were standing up in faith And Jericho got nervous. That is what evil does when they are about to be routed out of the land. They get nervous and they shut down and they lock down. It's what they do. When they sense their end is near, they shut all the doors. Just wanted to camp on that for just a moment right there. Just let that, just let that simmer. None went out and none came in. Jericho got nervous. Someone could come along and expose all of our corruption. Someone could come along and bring an end to our domination. Someone could come along and eradicate us from the land. And so they shut their doors. But the beautiful part of Joshua 6 is that there's more to the story. Verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, you see, God's not moved by their immovability. The Lord said to Joshua, see, 
I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Now, looking at the situation, you might think, what? How can I look and see a city that has shut up its walls, turned into a defensive military posture? How am I supposed to look at that and say, see, God's about to deliver you. If you look with the natural eyes, you wouldn't make that conclusion. But when you look by faith, you listen to what God says, you'll come to that conclusion every time. You don't listen to what God said or what the people say about the circumstances. You listen to what God says in faith. That's what you do. And he says, look, I'm giving you Jericho. I'm giving you the land, the king, and all the mighty men that are in it. And this tells me that the Lord knew that when the enemy goes into shutdown, it's about to be overcome. That's, the, that's what's leading up to So you and I, when you see the enemy start to hunker down, when you see the enemy start to pull in close, when he starts getting real defensive in posture, then you can know he's about to be overcome. This is your moment of victory. This is not your moment of greater fear. And this is what God was telling Joshua. Don't get afraid because they've gone into lockdown mode. This is your moment to have faith. Because there's a God who reigns over all kings of the earth, all of them, every one of them. None have power apart from his hand. There's no opposition greater than him. There's no situation greater than him. There is nothing that is impossible with him. And God said to Joshua, I'm going to give you this city. Verse 3. Here are your instructions, Joshua. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go around, go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. God was saying, Joshua, I I have a, a way of warfare I'm going to teach you and the people. And here's how it works. When you see a stronghold... When there is opposition, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to me first. I'll give you the directions. Second, I want you to circle that thing. I want you to walk around that thing. I want you to pray down that thing. I want the strength to not be in your hand, but in God's hand. It's interesting that he was saying this to the men of war. Men of war knew if you come up to opposition, you get your weapons and you start fighting. And God was saying, look, I don't want you to rely on your own strength and your own ways. You rely upon me only in this situation. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to walk around this city once, and then you're going to do it for six days after that because I want you to get this clear that what I do will not be by might and not be by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This is where it always starts. If you've got a stronghold in your life, if you've got a stronghold in some area of your family, if we see a stronghold in our nation, we are not to approach it first 
by our argument, our persuasion, our talent, or our strength. We're to approach it in the power of the Spirit, by the Word of God, and by faith, trusting in Him, doing exactly what He says all the way to the end. It's a pretty powerful lesson for dealing with strongholds. And then He gets very specific with Joshua. And and here it is, verse 4. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priest shall blow the trumpets. Do you see a word in this verse that's important? Do you see a word in this verse that's repeated? Seven. 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 Why seven? God, why seven in this verse? There had to be more than seven priests in this million-plus nation. There were. There had to be more than just seven trumpets of ram's horns. Oh, there were. There had to be more days in the week than just seven, or in a, week, in a, a month, in a year. There were. There are more than seven days that exist. But God chooses seven. Number always has significance in Scripture. I'll just give you a, a quick rundown. If you see the number one in Scripture, it's a powerful picture of unity. The Lord our God He is one. When God created Adam and Eve, he called them together to become one. It's a picture of unity, togetherness, singularity. If you see two in Scripture, it's a picture of confirmation. In the mouth of two witnesses, every word is confirmed. Hearing it from this person and this person. God made man and woman in his image, confirmation of who he is. In the book of Revelation, there are two witnesses who come. Two is a picture of confirmation. Three is a picture of fullness. The Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a picture of the fullness of God. Four is a picture of totality, Especially in the physical realm, in the realm that we know, there are four seasons. There are four directions, north, south, east, and west. There are four sides to the tabernacle, to the altar. It's a picture of totality. Five, a picture of God revealing himself. The first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, God reveals himself in fullness. Number six is the number of man. It's a number of weakness, often a number of sin. So when you have in the book of Revelation, the end times, the fullness of man, you have six, 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 three sixes, the fullness of man in his weakness and sin. And when you come to the number seven in scripture, it is the picture of completion, of fulfillment. Seven days of creation, God was finished. He finished on day six, but he included day seven as a day of rest, completed the week. Seven churches in the book of Revelation, seven miracles of Jesus in the gospel of John, seven statements of Jesus from the cross. We could go on and on with sevens. Seven is a picture of completion. So when you see seven in the scripture, it's important to notice that this is a picture of the completed work 
Not partial, not some, not just some segmented piece, not just a little, not just a good start, but a completion. So let's make some application here because the first thing he says is that when you walk around the walls, there shall be seven priests. Hmm, interesting. The priests were those who represented God to man. They were the ones who could enter into the holy place of the tabernacle. They were the ones who could bring in the offering for sin. They were the ones who made atonement for sin. They were the ones who prayed for the people before God. They were the ones who kept the sanctuary holy. They were the ones who knew the law of God, knew the will of God. They were the completion of the picture of peace with God, a priest, and to know him to have a relationship with him, gave you peace with God. So here, to have seven priests leading the way of the people of God, they were being led by peace with God. It was a statement of saying, of all things that we could lead with, we could lead with the common people, We could lead with our strongest warriors. We could lead with the men. We could lead with the women. We could lead with the children. We could do all kinds of things. But God said, I want you to lead with seven priests. I want my presence, my redemption, my peace with you to be what leads you. You know, there's been some times in our marriage that Heather and I have come upon a moment where we didn't know What should we do next in this situation? Maybe a couple of options lay before us. And we each had different ideas about what that was. Didn't know what to do. What we have relied on and gone back to is saying, God, where is the peace that you have for us? Give us peace and let your peace be what leads us. We don't want to walk anywhere that you are not. So even though I can't figure it out logically, even though I may not understand all of the facts and circumstances and all that could happen, give us together peace. And that is the direction we will go in. And when we have followed that, we have seen God bless. So it's become kind of standard counsel when someone says, hey, I'm really trying to figure out what I should do in this situation. Let the peace of God lead. And so here, God was saying to his people, I want you to put out in front what you might think is most vulnerable, the priests, but they are actually your greatest strength. Your peace with God, forgiveness with God, knowing there is someone who stands in the holy place for you, knowing there is peace with the one who made you, knowing your sins have been atoned for, let that lead. It really just kind of blows out of the water this idea that faith is this segmented piece of life that has nothing to do with the rest of life. That in Texas slang is bull. Your faith has everything to do with every part of your life. And what in the world are we thinking by letting it be some segmented, compartmentalized, one day a week, one element of our life part? 
It is who you are. And you have no strength if the peace of God is not what leads you. You have no ability to overcome strongholds in your life if the peace and presence of God is not what leads you. You have no ability to see walls come down in your life if the sacrifice of Jesus for you, the atonement of his body for your sin, is not what leads you. If that's not out front, you're going to be dominated by people like Jericho all your life. Amen. We're just getting started. Seven priests. But he says, also you're going to need to have seven trumpets. Let me back up for just a moment here. If they had seven priests and that was great, you know who we have? We have a great high priest who's gone in before us into the Holy of Holies. We have Jesus who leads for us. We have one who has gone in and offered himself for us. We have one who has been perfect and pure and holy and just and righteous and became unjust for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If they could lead with priests, then we let our great high priest lead us. Amen? That's what we do. Amen. All right, let's go on. Seven priests, seven trumpets. Trumpets. Trumpets were a, a, a picture of announcement. Trumpets were used for declaring. Trumpets were used for calling the people together. Trumpets were used for times of war. Trumpets were used as a way of saying, the glory of God is here. Yes. And when the people heard the trumpet, they knew, whoo, it's time to go. It's time to get up. It's time to move. The presence of God is here. His glory is here. He's called us to action. He's called us to purpose. Let's go. If they heard the trumpet, it was time for action. So when the Lord says to Joshua, I want you to have seven trumpets, it was a picture of completion, the full element of trumpets. He didn't need 70 or 200. He just needed seven because they knew seven meant something. Seven was the completion, and they had a lot in their day that brought them as a way of announcement to this point. They had a rich heritage even at this point in Scripture. They had Abraham being called and promises being given to him that there would be a nation that would come from him, nations would come from him, and that God would bless them to be a blessing to others. They had that trumpet announcement into their life. They had the announcement of Joseph's life Trusting God when all the circumstances looked impossible. Joseph had a dream and he held true to that. They had that in their history as a trumpet calling out to them. They had the law given to them. They had Moses who stood as this great leader to them. All of these were great trumpets, if you will, that announced to them, God is with you. God has called you. God has gifted you. God will bless you. If you'll walk in his ways, these were all trumpets to them. They had the tabernacle. They had the sacrificial system. They had his presence. They had a fire by night and a cloud by day. They had all of these trumpets that announced to them that God was with them. So to have seven trumpets lead was a picture they would have understood in saying the completed message and revelation of God is given to us. We know he is for us. He's not hidden himself from us. He's not turned his back on us. He is with us. And so what led was the presence of peace and the presence of a declaration. You don't walk around walls 
with trumpets blaring and try to stay secret. (laughs) They weren't meant to. They were meant to boldly proclaim who they were. We are God's people. Let the trumpets play. Let them blast. Let them blare. We're not here to hide. We're not here to shrink away. We're not here to pull away. We're not here to be afraid. We're here to march and declare that we belong to our God and he has called us. This is the trumpet of war. This is the trumpet of announcement. This is the trumpet of glory. Let's go. That's what that all announced. And he said, let this lead the way. Priests and trumpets. It's not by your might, not by your power, your strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You and I have had some announcements and trumpets been given to us. God has completely revealed himself to us. There may be some mysteries that we will yet to see, but he has revealed himself in fullness. He's done so in a completed way. He's done so through creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. He has done so through his word given to us, preserved for us. The scriptures are a revelation of God to us, announcing like a mighty trumpet his glory and his plan. He has revealed himself to us through Jesus. The word become flesh who has tabernacled among us. He has revealed himself to us through the Holy Ghost within us. Amen? Four. That's four pictures of trumpets so far. He has revealed himself to us anytime that we worship and pray in power together. Did you experience the presence of God this morning when we worship together? Amen. Book of Ephesians, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. That is part of the way God reveals himself is in times of music and worship and wonder. And he also reveals himself in signs and wonders. Last week we talked about how he does that through healings and resurrections. Now look, God can and does heal today. Sometimes he does it physically but the way I see it most often is spiritually. God can resurrect the dead if he chooses, but the way I see it all the time is when God spiritually resurrects somebody. When he takes a heart that was dead in guilt and shame and sin and fear and anxiety, rejected and condemned, and he speaks life to it and they confess their sins, believe in him, and all of a sudden they're up and they're following God, loving him, walking in his ways, that's resurrection. And that's greater resurrection than a physical resurrection any day. It is. So God has revealed himself to us in at least those seven ways. It's pretty complete if you ask me. So today, if we want to see some strongholds torn down, we want to see some walls fall flat, then we've got to lead with the presence of Jesus in front of us, unashamed and boldly announcing, this is the way of God. Walk in it. It's time that, hey, it is. It's time the church stop being soft. It's time for the church to stop being easy. It's time for the church to stop trying to make it an easy path for people to come to Jesus Christ. 
Hey, it's not easy. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to confess your sins. You've got to take up your cross. And there's no way to make that easy. God forgive us as a church for ever making that easy for people. What were we thinking? We want to see some walls torn down. We have to be bold. We have to be confident. There is a way to life. You want to have peace in your mind, in your heart? Oh, there's a way to that. You want to see, you want to see generations in your family follow Christ? There's a very specific way for that. Walk in it. That's why at Vertical Church, we are passionate and driven toward teaching a vertical life where Jesus is first in every area, whether it's parenting or marriage or finances or in your own emotional health, mental health, whatever it might be. Lift him up and live him out. That's the order it works in. And God was saying to Joshua, look, Joshua, I know you got a bunch of warriors down there. I know they learned a lot over the past years about war, but I'm about to teach you a new way. And it starts by putting me first, me in front. My, my atonement leads. My ways lead. Seven priests seven trumpets. But that is not all. Then he says, on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times. So they're going to march around the city seven days. And on the seventh day, they're going to march around seven times. This speaks of the responsibility of the people. And seven speaks of completion. If you want to see walls fall in your life, you want to see God glorified, you want to see some miracles happen, you want to see transformation happen, it will require your complete obedience. Now, this is not a popular message in church. But if you want to see some strongholds in your own personal life torn down, you want to see some strongholds in your family torn down. If we want to see our nation transformed, it's going to require a whole lot more than one day a week expressions of faith. It's going to take a whole lot more than me thinking I could put faith off in this back burner piece of my heart and pull it out when I need to to show off around certain people and hide it from other people at other times when I don't want them to see it. If you're going to march around the walls seven times, seven days, blaring trumpets with priests out front, you better be pretty bold and complete in your faith. And that's what they were going to have to do. He didn't tell them to do it one day, two days, three days. He said, you're going to need to do it seven days. Seven as a picture of completion. You're going to need... To hear me, God says, put me out front, my ways first, and then choose to obey me all the way to the end. You don't stop when you get tired. You don't stop when you can't figure out what's next. You don't stop because you're not seeing results yet. You don't stop because it feels better to do it your way. 
You don't put your feelings ahead of your faith. You don't put your pleasure ahead of your faith. You don't put your money, your reputation ahead of your faith. You put your faith first and obey all the way to the end. Get all the way to day seven. And even when we get to day seven, we're going to do it seven times on that day. Then your obedience will be complete and then the walls will fall. That's the pattern. All the way. It's radical. It's not unusual because it's part of Scripture. When Naaman had leprosy, he was told to go dip in the Jordan River. Guess how many times? Seven. That's when his obedience would be complete. When Jesus told those who wanted to follow him, you can, but you're going to need to take up your cross and follow me. That's complete obedience. Not reserved, not halfway, not partial, not until it gets difficult, all the way, obedience. When Jesus talked to the rich young ruler, and he said, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, knowing that man and what was important to that man, said, sir, you're going to need to sell all you have and give it to the poor. Then come and follow me. Jesus is looking for complete obedience. That is what brings walls down. It requires all in. So when you look here in verse 5, it says, And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Now Jericho is believed to have been about six acres in size. It's not big compared to cities like you and I think of. This piece of property from Main Street to just the other side of the parking lot here is about four acres. So expand that out some, you get six. And There was a wall around that, Jericho. But then there was another area beyond that that was a, a built-up region that would have expanded beyond about nine acres and another wall around that. So it would have put this inner wall at about 50 or 60 feet. It's big. It's formidable. It's a kind of stronghold that you'd picture just sitting there in the way of all that waits for you on the other side. And that's what strongholds look like. Massive, walled cities that make you think, what I've got right now will never be different. Stronghold. I don't see how my marriage can be any different. Stronghold. I don't see how my life can be any different. Stronghold. I don't see how God could use me. Stronghold. I don't see how God could forgive me for all my sins. Stronghold. I don't see how this nation could ever be redeemed. Stronghold. Come on. God calls us to remove strongholds out of our life. He calls us to pull down those walls, tear them down, wrestle against principality and powers, bring it into them. And I'm sure the people of God must have thought, what in the world do priests and trumpets and walking have to do with massive walls coming down? What is that? have to do with that. 
What does this thing that looks like worship have anything to do with this that looks like an impossible stronghold? It has everything to do with it. That's the problem in our land today. We've created this model of life that says this church Sunday morning experience is woo. But this, what does it have to do with this? What does all this faith, singing, worship, prayer have to do with my addictions and strongholds and conflict and all this stuff going on in my life? What does that have to do with the economy and the culture and the, pol- the politics and the government? This has everything to do with that. The reason that looks like that is because we removed this from it. Woo! And God was trying to get Joshua to see it. This, priests, trumpets, full-on surrender and obedience to me has everything to do with that. And the day you separate this from that, that will only get bigger. Strongholds will multiply. Wickedness will prevail. And evil will have its way. That is why God is rattling the world today. He's rattling the church to get us to wake up. Stop playing the segmented, compartmentalized, I'm not full in game. We we have created this mess that we're in. It's easy to blame all that mess on that mess, but it's the result of the church not being the light of the world, the salt of the earth, the ambassadors for Christ, the ministers of reconciliation. It's on us. And this is why he's rattling some things today. If we want to see some strongholds torn down, and we do, then it's going to require Jesus out front, his ways out front, and our complete and full obedience to him and his ways. It doesn't come any other way. It won't come by entering into a building one day a week, singing some songs, nodding our head, and praying a few prayers. The story goes on in verse 10, and it says, Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. (laughs) Then you shall shout. Six days you're going to walk around, you're going to be quiet. Trumpets blaring, priests walking, you walking, but I want you quiet. I want you stone cold silent. Now, I'm sure that had to be a great military strategy just to look out above those walls and like, Million people just every day, no trumpet. What? I'm sure it had to be great psychological warfare. But it was also a powerful lesson to the people of God. You're going to trust me all the way to the end. You're going to obey me all the way to the end. When you don't understand it, you're still going to obey me. When you haven't seen anything yet, you're still going to obey me. You're going to walk in my ways all the way to the end. All the way. 
And when you get to the end and you've done everything I ask you to do, then you're going to shout. You know what that does? That makes your shout sincere. Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah? It's one thing to come in here and shout and sing, but have you ever come into a church service and tried to shout and sing and you got all kind of wreck going on in here? You know what I'm talking about. When your life's a wreck and your conscience is all defiled and you've done, you've done all kind of evil just last night or this morning and you try to come into a worship time and, and sing full on for God, it doesn't happen. You're like embarrassed and ashamed and covering. You're just not even. Because God's called us to full-on obedience. And when you shout, it's supposed to come out of a complete obedience. Full obedience. So that when you do shout, oh man, a wall falls. Strongholds come down. Remember our baptism last week? Remember how beautiful that was? It was an act of faith and obedience. And she came in this morning with the most beautiful smile on her face. And she said, I've got to tell you something. And I didn't know this. She said, since last Sunday, I've had my first sober week in over 40 years. Hey. Amen. Because she took the step of full obedience to come and be baptized. And that is how you get set free. That's how walls come down. Amen? Ooh. We're going to be baptizing some more today, too. Yeah, it's going to be good. In fact, you know, we look at baptism today and we think, oh, it's so beautiful, so sweet. You know, what? What you and I don't realize is how much has gone into us being able to baptize today. Now, I know Jesus commanded it, and we do it because of that, but there are people in our own spiritual heritage who have sacrificed much for the thing that we take for granted. Baptizing by immersion, full dunk into the water and back up, that has not always been popular. You go back into the 1500s, and I'm not trying to call anybody out, but I am at the same time. Catholics and Protestants back in the day were not all in for immersion baptism. Sprinkle was the way. And if you wanted to do anything else but sprinkle, you were going to pay the price. If you told people that you, need, that you were going to be immersed in baptism, or we're trying to convince them that they should, there was a tongue clamp that would be applied to your tongue. It was made of wood and it had a screw to it that they just, to keep your mouth shut. There are others who, when they were baptized, were arrested, tied up, taken out on a ship, tossed into the sea, to drown. Those folks were full in, complete obedience to Christ, even knowing it was going to cost them. That's what full on surrender and obedience looks like. That group, by the way, were called the Anabaptists. Look it up sometime. 
It's a picture of complete surrender. Let's finish our story here, verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around it once. Then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning and priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once more and returned to the camp. So they did six days, full-on, complete obedience. Verse 15, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they arose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. And on that day only, they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened... When the priest blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. You've led with peace. You've led with my ways. You have fully obeyed. You've done everything I've asked you to do. Now it's time to shout. Now it's time to be bold. Now it's time to shout from where you are sold out inside. Verse 20, so the people shouted. When the priest blew the trumpets and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. That was the end. Amen. Yeah. What they thought was impossible was not with God. It just required them walking in his ways. Peace out front proclamation, bold, and perfect obedience, complete obedience, all the way. I'm not holding back. I'm not keeping some for myself. This is when walls fall. There are strongholds in our land today that need to come down. There are strongholds of evil in governmental power today. I'm anxious to see What happens to John MacArthur today? The pastor in California who was told that if they meet today, he will be arrested and the church will be fined $1,000 a day. I'm anxious to hear what's going to happen in California when believers choose to meet in homes anyway after they're told that if you gather in your home, we're going to shut the utilities off to your house. I'm anxious to see what's going to happen in New York today as they set up checkpoints to control access and freedom of people. There are strongholds of evil in governmental power today. There are strongholds of wickedness in our land today that are trying to silence the church. They're trying to tell us that our message has no bearing on society, that we should keep our conversation private and not enter it into the public debate. There are those who would try to label Christianity as backwards and evil. There are those who would try to limit biblical messages from social media and ban our content. There's a stronghold in our land today. There are strongholds of relativism relativism in our land today. Strongholds that would say, there is no absolute truth. There's only what I say is truth. 
what I feel is right, what you feel is right, what they feel is right, what they feel is right. That, my friend, is not truth. There's one truth, and it comes from God alone. Anything else is just your opinion, and it has no bearing on anything until it lines up with God's ways. Relativism is a destructive stronghold in our land today that would say, put your feelings above your faith. Put your own personal pursuits above what the Bible says. Choose pleasure above all things. You can have your opinion. This person can have their opinion. And God can have his opinion. And you can decide what's right or wrong about his opinion. Wrong. God's ways are God's ways. And they reign supreme over all ways. There are strongholds of fear today that would keep us from speaking out boldly. That would keep us intimidated. Keep us locked in our houses Keep us silent in our discussions. Keep us from speaking out. And if that's all you looked at were those strongholds, you might be intimidated today. You might look at those walls and think, oh God, there's no way. But the God we serve is the same God who called Joshua to march around Jericho seven times. Our God is the one who's in the business of tearing down strongholds. Our God today is moving and the enemy is panicking. The enemy is panicking and trying to shut down and trying to lock down and keep from being found out and routed out. But we as the church of the living God today are being called to life. We are called to speak. We are called to complete obedience. And what I'm calling us as a church is that kind of life. Full-on, obedient life. With him out front, boldly declaring his word, and us surrendering every element of our life to it. No more compartmentalized. No more segmented life. No more my opinion over God's opinion. Every one of us in complete surrender, complete obedience to him. That is when walls fall flat. Amen? There's a one-verse commentary in the New Testament, and I'll end with this, about this whole story. How about that? One verse that sums up the whole story. Check it out. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. After. Pretty important word. After the people led with the atoning work of Christ, after the people led with bold declaration, trumpets blaring, and after the people completely obeyed. So it comes to a very personal moment right now where each of us have to say, God, am I walking in complete obedience to you. I didn't say perfect. I said complete. Is there something God has called you to that you've not done? Is there something he is wanting to change in you that you have resisted? Is there an attitude in your heart that you have said, no, God, I'm not going to let that one go? Is there a, a sin that you have said, no, God, I'm not going to let that one go. Are you boldly proclaiming? Are you putting him out front? Or are you putting you out front? Are you walking with him leading the march, complete surrender, 
complete obedience to him. Only then will we see walls fall in our own lives and in our nation as well. Would you bow your heads and we pray this morning? Heavenly Father, we are rattled by your word today. Stunning truth that shows what is necessary for us to see walls fall. And God, you have much out in front of us. Just like they had a land of promise, God, you have a land of promise waiting for us. You have futures in our own families, and our own lives, for us personally, but also in our nation. Things that we haven't seen yet, glories that await, and we can't even imagine what it would be like. And what you're calling us to as the church is to lead with you out front, boldly declaring there is salvation in none other but the Lord Jesus. There are no other ways but the ways of God. And we are the people of God who are ready to walk in complete obedience all the way, all the way past what's challenging, past our feelings, past our opinions, past our own ideas, all the way in obedience to you. So God, I pray you'd forgive us first where we've not walked in that obedience. And then God, we repent and now turn to you and say, we will walk in your ways. We'll walk one day, two days, three days. We'll walk to complete victory in obedience to you. And if we fall along the way, We'll cry out for forgiveness and get right back and walk in complete obedience again. God, I know that's what is required of us for our nation to be changed. So I pray that starts here, right now, in this place. Complete faith, complete surrender, complete obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have committed over the past couple of weeks, and even now as we move forward, to baptizing. And we said because of situations today, we just do one baptism a week. So we started last week, and we're going to do another baptism this week. I've had people come talk to me and say, I want to be baptized. So right now, all the way through the middle of September, we're baptizing every week. Amen. And I'm convinced God's not finished yet. So, if after the service today you say, I need to talk to you about baptism, come see me. Let's talk. I'm praying. Our, our staff is praying. Our elders are praying that that goes all the way through the end of this year. I want to get all the way to the end of December having baptized every week. Amen? So, uh, let me introduce to you Jamie Barnett. Come on up, Jamie. Let's come all the way up on stage. Yeah. So Jamie's been here a little while, and uh, you, may, you may say, well, I'm not sure I recognize her, but she looks very familiar because Jamie has hair right now. And for many weeks, she sat right here and did not have hair because about a year ago, she was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and it was pretty severe. She went into treatments right away. And so that's why she was here. Um, 
without hair for many weeks. <laughs> Finish those treatments and cancer-free right now. So we're getting to see a new side of Jamie, which is great. Um, Jamie's life is like all of our lives. It's in process. And um, she's in the midst of some turmoil in marriage right now. Very, very difficult. So I know she would appreciate us praying for her as she's in the middle of this process with no clear answers yet. Uh, Jamie told me that when she was young that she... Um, attended church some, but uh, 10, 12, 13, 14, right in there, uh, was baptized and went, continued to go to church. But over the last year or so, she said, she told me, and she asked me to talk for her. That's what I'm doing here. Um, she said, you know, a lot of that, a lot of my, well, actually all the rest of my life, I went to church because family did, friends did. But she said, since I came here, I've owned my faith. And she says, I'm coming now because I want to. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes a mama proud, right? It doesn't hurt a mom's feelings, does it? She's not coming anymore just because of you. She's coming because of him and a work he's done in her life. So she's coming today to be baptized, and baptism is a picture of complete obedience. Hey, to get up in front of people and get baptized, that's obedience. Obedience to Christ, it's a beautiful picture. Jesus fully obeyed on the cross and was buried. But on the third day, he rose again. Baptism is a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. For Jamie, she's had a death, a burial, and now a resurrection in her life. Jesus is all new in her life. Amen. Come on, Jamie. Yeah. All right. I'll ask what I always ask. Is it warm? Hey, it's not too bad. We've been working on warm in here. <laughs> Jamie, I'm so excited. There's obvious joy in your heart. We see it on your face. And to walk through what you're walking through is difficult and painful. But it's obvious that the Lord has changed your heart in the process. So I'm excited today to baptize you because I know you've been resurrected and made new in Jesus Christ. So I baptize you as my sister in Christ. You're buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in 